if we're really talking about fostering environments where people can come as their authentic selves, yeah. we have to get serious about what does that take out of a person? How long does it take out of a person to come to grips with some of those things? And yeah. the answer is sometimes there is no times table, right? Like That's it's right. different for all of us. So That's what an right. impact. Well, but one of the things that you said that I've hung on to as we were thinking about having this conversation and as we were thinking about conditional support as the topic we wanted to unpack first, you said you really liked it because you said love is always a great place to start. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I am delighted to be here with my teammate, Mac Gladney. Mac, will you introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to meet everybody here today. My name is Mac Gladney. I am a partner success manager for Breakline team. We are so thrilled to be coming at you with a new topic. Our team at Breakline started discussing the idea of sharing some of the best practices that we've created internally within our organization. And we started talking about the importance of sensitive conversations. And so this is the very first conversation in a series that we're calling, How Do I Tell You? This is our trial run. Mac, can you talk more about what we're hoping to do here today? Of course. So the genesis of the idea for this series is that Team Breakline believes trust is at the foundation of healthy relationships. And healthy relationships are at the foundation of strong organizations. In order to build trust, we need to be able to communicate clearly with one another, especially when it feels sensitive or awkward or challenging. So this series is designed to provide tactics, tips, and techniques for engaging in important conversations with your colleagues. You can think of this as your tear sheet or your cliff notes for building trust through dialogue. We wanted to start this series in a place that would speak to most, if not all people. And we asked our teammates to weigh in on sensitive topics that affect most of us. Together, we arrived at the topic of conditional support. As in, I feel supported by you as long as I show up in a certain way. But I am also aware that your support may instantly evaporate if I choose to break the rules and present a different and more authentic version of myself. We're going to unpack this topic of conditional support in the workplace and how to address it over the next hour or so. We'll review a self-assessment along with share some personal examples of conditional and unconditional support. Then. Once you have run the assessment and decided you're ready to engage in the topic, we'll provide you with three insights to consider as you dive into the discussion. We'll finish with some examples of putting the game plan into action. So let's dive in. 
Imagine a colleague who is important to you. Maybe they have influence over your career trajectory, or you need their buy-in to advance an initiative. Or even if they don't have positional power or authority that affects you, they still impact your day-to-day experience at work in a meaningful way. And you sense that you have conditional support. Before deciding whether to engage in a conversation about it, we'd like to offer you some steps. Bethany, why don't you take off with the first step? You bet, Mac. So one of the things that we want people to know before they decide to embark on this journey of a, of a complicated or sensitive conversation is first run a bit of a self-assessment. Mac and I came up with, I would call it, Mac, I'd call this kind of a B minus acronym. It's a loose That's, acronym. It's, it's a loose. Too. Yeah, exactly. And acronyms don't have to actually be a word, but This acronym you can remember as TREDS, T-R-E-D-S. And the first, that T is about time. And the question to ask yourself here is, is this the right time to engage? And Mac, I want to call myself out. I'm the worst at this. You and I have talked about how I'm Italian, spicy. Sometimes I can't restrain myself and I just, I have the thought, I'm feeling a little hot under the collar and I say the thing. And I have learned this lesson so many times, Mac, and yet it's still, it's kind of just keeps popping up for me. The lesson that I have learned is to take a beat, pause, and actually ask, is this the right time to engage? Am I likely to be able to advocate for myself in a way that's productive if I engage Right. right now? That's what time is about. We also thought about risk. Is the risk reward balance right for you? to engage in this conversation at this time with this person? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. And we want you all to hear us when we say, you don't have to go after every single conversation. There Mm. will be times when you say, you know what? This is too risky for me right now. And Mac and I will share some of the times when it was too risky for us. The third element that we want you to consider is your energy. Is this how you want to choose to spend your energy right now? Sometimes energy is a finite resource that we have, and we feel like we barely have enough of it at some moments in life or some moments in our career, and we need to manage it carefully. And so asking yourself that question, is this where you want to devote your energy? That is a really important question. And it's also really important to give yourself the possibility of saying no. Desire is a related one. Do you want to have this conversation? How you feel about it in the moment is an important consideration. And the final one that I'd offer up here, Mac, is safety. And this one is obviously critical. Do you feel safe enough to have this conversation under the circumstances? And so that's where we got treads, time, risk, energy, desire, and safety. We want you to run through that self-assessment before you decide to engage in a weighty, yeah. complicated, sensitive conversation. Mac, thoughts from yes. you on self-assessment? Yeah. First thoughts from me are always that when it comes to those self-assessments, they change situation to situation. There's no one size fits all for every conversation that you're going to have. And sometimes energy weighs more than time or yeah. weighs more than the risk. Or mm-hmm. sometimes the biggest factor is the risk that's at hand, right? And Some of that is just to be able to give yourself the ability to free yourself of the guilt that comes with the choices that you're going to have to make to have really hard conversations that don't always land the way you want them to. 
but that doesn't mean it's not worth investing in. So I love that part of the assessment. And then I also start to look at each one of those and they, they're kind of a double-edged sword, right? There's the element of time for you and time for the person that you're talking to. It's just Mm -hmm. as relevant, right? If you want that new toy for Christmas, not to ask mom while she's in the middle of cooking dinner after she just folded all the laundry right before mm-hmm. she runs to her nightly right. eating. Right. That's not you've got to set yourself up. Read the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And part of that will play into what's your safety. And then I think about desire. Right. How yeah. often we're willing to dismiss for ourselves. Do I really want to do this? Do yeah. Is it something that's going to bring me joy or bring right. me further to where I'm looking to go? But also the double-edged sword of being a human and saying like, ah, I don't want to have this conversation, so I'm going to push it off and I'm going to avoid having it, right? So being able to be introspective and real real enough with yourself to answer those questions honestly so you can walk away with a true assessment. Yeah, I'm so glad you weighed in on that. And one thing that you said that I was thinking about is the role of guilt. Sometimes guilt can be such a burden and we burden ourselves also with the voices of other people, you know, what Mm. other people want from us or want us to do. And I think with the nature of the conversations that we're really talking about, Mac, which tend to be consequential and nuanced, the most important voice to listen to is your own. Try to quiet any other voice that you're hearing in your head and just stay focused on what is best for you. So time, risk, energy, desire, safety, answer those questions for you, not for anyone else in your circle, not for anyone else who you might turn to for approval or support. This is about you right now. Yes. I love that. I love that. I think this is always a good time for me to kind of think about some times in my life, right? Yeah. Where I've kind of been posed with that conditional or unconditional support. Yes. Some of the first moments that come to me aren't even in the workplace, I think. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times who we are outside of work really shapes how we bring ourselves to those interactions. Mm -hmm. And I can think of being, you know, in like seventh grade and I had an English teacher who, you know, she was already a very strict grader. She was already the kind of woman that you you came prepared, right? Dot every I, cross every T. And one day we all showed up to class and she she didn't let us in. And the Mm. bell rang and everybody else went into their classrooms and we were all Mm. still standing there. And we're like, oh, man, what's going on? And she opened Mm -hmm. the door without a smile and everybody Mm. come in. She sits down on her desk and she's like, I've been reading you guys' papers all weekend and they're absolutely trash. You all sound like a bunch of Democrats. And we're like in the seventh grade. I'm like, you're like 12. (laughs) Just figuring out what justice is. You know what I mean? The term freedom is so loose. I'm like, freedom is like getting ice cream without telling my mom. This is what? Like, what's this yeah. thing to me, right? right? Implications, though, that that echo in a way that yeah. make you think about all of your personal choices, right? Because at home, my mom was a Democrat. Yeah. She was voting that way. What did that say about me? Now I knew that my teacher didn't like me. Now I went into every interaction monitoring. How am I coming off? What am I saying? I hope she doesn't find out. Right. And what kind of way is that to learn? Well, and to your point, Mac, she actually proved to you that her support was conditional because when she believed you to be a Democrat, you were standing outside in the hallway, kind of Mm -hmm. ostracized while all these other kids were going into their classroom. She was really behaving and acting out what it means to conditionally support Mm. someone, including a 12 year old child, a room full of 12 year old children. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the weight of that, you don't realize how much you then approach other scenarios where yeah. you may have been more authentically you with just that filter, that small filter that right. you're not being in bringing your best self because now I'm worried about, well, what, what is she really going to think? Is she going to grade every paper now? Thinking of that in the background, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. It's like she put up a Republicans only sign. And it doesn't matter. I mean, here we're talking, like she said, Democrats, you could have said Republican and it, like the exactly. impact it could have been, been the same. Exactly. Like, it's just shocking. Exactly. It's just shocking that she expressed her conditional support that way. Well, I have one too. I actually have one from early in my career. It was in the workplace. And anyone who's listened to some of our podcasts have heard me discuss the role of imposter syndrome and just sort of the universal human mm -hmm. affliction of imposter syndrome. And I've certainly lived with it. It's been a monkey on my back at various points, comes and goes. And I have better tools now than I did when I was sort of 26, I think, when this situation happened. But at the time, I was really crippled with it, Mac. I had joined McKinsey coming out of business school. And I just knew that any minute someone was going to realize that I had no business being part of this firm. You know, it was like, the kind of fancy blue chip establishment that I was just sure did not want someone like me. And some, and I had fooled them Mac and somehow they had hired me yeah. and there I was. I went to an offsite. It was some kind of training as I recall. And it was in Europe, Mac. I had barely traveled. Like I, this was such a big deal for me to go and travel for work and travel to Europe. And there I was for this offsite feeling imposter syndrome, just kind of trembling with imposter syndrome almost. And this very senior male partner at McKinsey came up to me and he pointed to another woman in my class of, I think they called them associates at the time. So, people, you know, okay. post-MBA folks who had just joined the firm. And he said, hey, Bethany, I want you to know that I mentioned to that woman that she really should look to you for tips on how to show up as a feminine woman at the firm. Dang. There were so many parts to this comment, Mac, that landed for me. Obviously, one of the first things that landed for me was, man, why would you ever right. ask someone else to try to squash themselves into a Bethany-shaped box? Why would that be your first go-to move when you're thinking about how to build a team? But secondly, what he was communicating to me very clearly was I was succeeding in his eyes not because of the value that I was bringing, That's not right. because of my analysis, not because the clients really loved me. I was succeeding because he viewed me as a feminine woman. And so that That's was right. a very clear example of conditional support. If I had decided to show up as, I don't even know what, a non-feminine woman? Yeah. I don't, as me, would not have as been as a, as a masculine presenting black gay woman. He might have right. been a little uncomfortable based on That's the right. that'd be you, right? And- how much does that really affirm what you were already feeling when you walked into the door? Absolutely. Which is, oh, my God, they're going to figure out that I'm not really cut like all the rest of these folks, that I'm That's not right. from this, that this is new to me. And yes. then he calls you out and it's like, oh, God, yes. well, now I have to keep being this person because I definitely don't want any other version than now what they've told me they accept because I'm so worried about being accepted anyway. That's exactly right. Feminine woman was the way that I could earn his support. That was mm. it. That was really shocking. It That comment has always stuck with me. And then, Mac, I mentioned this story to you before. And one of the things that I mentioned was I cannot remember how I responded 
Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up, because it comes back to that question of risk. One thing I'm sure I didn't do, Mac, is to tell him to go back off. You like, think, right. <laughs> I did not do that, Mac, because it yeah. was too risky for me. I was feeling the risk at such a visceral yeah. level. I did not feel that that risk reward balance would have landed me in a healthy spot if I had called him on his conditional support. So I'm sure I didn't call him on it. I also didn't feel safe enough to have that type of conversation with this man who I had just met, who was making a pronouncement about me and about this other woman as if he had control over how he showed up. So I can't remember what I said, but I'm sure I didn't push back on him in any way that I would be proud of today. And Mac, as I think about that, I really want to give my younger self grace because it was too risky and I didn't have the safety to do it. I would reply differently today because that calculation, just like you said, that calculation changes. The calculation has changed for me today, but I give myself grace for that. I forgive myself for that. Yes, that's I think that's such a huge piece of having critical conversations in general. Right. And what you choose to say, what you don't choose to say. That at the end of the day, like you come equipped with the tools that you have, you have the moment that you're in and you have to make such a nuanced split second choice sometimes between, to your point, we would call it blowing up the spot, right? Like completely ruining your moment for yourself and and burning that bridge or choosing to carry that burden on your own silently. And now he may not know, right? But there's also that like hidden conversation that happened, right? Because it's not just that he put someone else into a Bethany shaped box. But now he put you into a box that you know. That's right. You don't know what feminine woman means, right? And now anything in your mind that comes outside of that too much in a meeting, coming off as the bitch, right? Like there's a million ways that now you have to put tape over your mouth and you have to squeeze really tiny. And that's the unspoken conversation, those microaggressions that come that most of the time you're not in a space where it's safe enough to say to that person, hey, that wasn't okay that you did that, right? And to your point, the assessment of the safety, right? I've had conversations with people that I knew that they were coming from a good place. And so I intentionally took them aside and said, hey, I know you care about this thing. And maybe the way that you intended that wasn't how it was received. And I want to give you the opportunity to fix that and own that. But you can't do that with everybody. And that's part of the nuance, too, is assessing that that guy wasn't going to receive anything you had to say, no matter how you said it. Right. Even if you'd have put the sweetest, most Pollyanna tone on your voice to stay as tiny and feminine as possible, he still wouldn't have heard you. Right. He, he still wouldn't have respected the perspective that you came with. So that's so important to recognize. Yeah. And to be OK with it and to learn from it. We can make different choices going forward when, to your point, the balance of that calculation suggests that we should do so. And so, Mac, we've just shared examples of conditional support just to illustrate what we mean by this topic. Our teammates also shared examples with us. We had examples of athletes feeling like they had conditional support from their coaches where they would only play in games if they were playing well. We had some of our veterans have conditional support with early employment experiences. One of our veteran teammates was told, I've never seen anyone like you succeed in a role like this. 
kind of right away suggesting, <laughs> man, I don't know if I'm actually there for you. This type of dynamic exists really commonly in, in human-to-human relationships. But Mac, you and I and our teammates as well have also experienced unconditional support. And I think the converse is really helpful for us to explain as well, like what that feels like. And you had a really, really beautiful example that that happened between you and your mom. Yes. Well, everybody knows I love my mom. I'm like a little mini twin image of (laughs) Vanessa. So I couldn't escape her if I tried. But my mom has always been a very vocal mom, right? That was like her big thing is that you're never going to be able to say I didn't tell you. So she was always having upfront conversations with me about relationships and dating and growing and even just who you love. I never heard my mom talk ill about being gay or making a different choice. But there was always this inherent fear attached to really living my truth and really being able to step into who I felt like I knew I was from a very young age, right? And some of that is just the conditional society, knowing that it wasn't okay at the time. We're talking like, this is the 90s, you know what I'm saying? This isn't the early thousands here. This was a whole different world. You know, Boys Don't Cry was still a movie. Like things were happening. So a lot of it was, do I want to bring that on my family? The choices I make impact the people around me. How can I live in my truth knowing that all of those things will be impacted, right? And so I never came out to my mom. Hmm. But my mom, being the mother that she is, was just so intuitive in the in the gentlest way, pulled me out of the closet. I had just went through a really bad breakup. I was, you know, as we all are, very in our feelings, listening to sad music, crying most of the day. And just with the simplest question of like, are you all right? Did you and so-and-so break up? And it was a split second of just, yes, I just really love my mom. (laughs) And sometimes you have to be that person, though, to reach across the bridge and say, it's okay. You can trust my hand. Right. So, yeah, that's amazing. I I love love that. It's okay. You can trust my hand. Well, I love your mom, too. And through you, I've gotten to hear a lot of Vanessa isms, all of which I love. And they're so powerful and so wise. And one of the things that she has said to you, Mac, is you have to teach people how to treat you. Mm, And and in that moment, she was teaching you, Mac. And she was teaching you and saying, you deserve to be loved. You deserve to be respected. You deserve to be accepted. You deserve to live your authentic self. Yes. You know, she was teaching. And that line looks so different for all of us, right? That like, if you don't say what that line is for you and someone doesn't know you can't go through yeah. life making the assumption that somebody has the same baseline of respect as you because yeah. we all don't come from the same scenarios you know what i mean some people are yeah. coming from a world of hurt a world of loss a world of disappointment yeah. and so the line for what they'll tolerate and do to mm-hmm. someone else is very different than what you would accept for yourself and mm-hmm. if you never say that i'm not okay with this how right. does anybody know you're not okay with it? You know, That's you're accepting right. it every moment that you don't say something. That's exactly right. Yeah. Do you remember how you felt when you told me that story? I got goosebumps. Just the, yeah. the maternal love, the unconditional love that she was expressing to you in that one short question. Did you yeah. and so and so break up? Do you remember how you felt in that immediate moment? A relieved, yeah. right? Because there's yeah. this understanding. I think one of the greatest gifts is when somebody can understand you without you having to explain it. 
Yeah. Right. That instant yes. connection of somebody just getting it. And, yes. and in that time, it was just being able to just, uh, okay, mm-hmm. so I don't have to unpack and unravel all of this mm-hmm. other stuff before I get right. to the thing that really hurts me so that we can deal That's with that, right. right? And also just kind of bashful, right? Kind yeah. of, huh. you know, like somebody walking in on you in the bathroom. You're like, oh, God, <laughs> hold on. Wait a minute. I don't, was I ready for this? Like, give me a I, I don't know if I asked for that moment, but here we are. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it is that moment when you you realize that whatever armor you thought you had around you, you didn't actually have. Like they were, yeah. it was see-through. Yeah. <laughs> it was like or, some see-through armor. Take the opposite, that you were carrying all this weight for yeah. no reason. That you've yes. been walking around picking this up every day and wearing yeah. that extra 20 pounds yeah. when you didn't have to. It wasn't yes. doing anything for you that you thought it yes. was, you know? Yes, yes. I'm so glad that you voiced the feelings that you had inside because I think it's a really beautiful representation for anyone listening to realize they can create for another person by mm. expressing unconditional support. That is the response that we can create in another person this probably happened for you 20-ish years ago, but it's still like you can still feel how it felt in that moment to know that your mom loved you no matter what. Absolutely. Almost kind of made me question myself of why did I question it? The support was so strong that it was like, why did I ever doubt that that level of support was there? But she never shown me anything but that, right? But I think that just goes to show how much we as humans can sometimes build up for ourselves. The the scariest and absorb, you know? Absorbed from lots of different types of experiences, relationships, moments with people both inside of our household, but also outside of our household, too. Well, I have also an example of unconditional support. And this one happened. I spent about nine years at Stanford in a variety of different roles. And it was a really formative chapter in my career because I got to work with simply extraordinary people. One of those people was Andy Ratcliffe, who co-founded a venture capital firm called Benchmark Capital, and then went on and co-founded Wealthfront that he ran as CEO, and today he's executive chairman. But I got to work very closely with him for many years. Andy is also a seed investor in Breakline, so has been hugely supportive of both me and our team. This moment happened about 15 years ago, and Mac, this was when my husband and I lost our first child. We lost him. I was almost eight months pregnant and oh. it was just this terrible medical emergency. And it really just rocked my world. There was just this wave of grief, unlike anything I had ever experienced up until that point in my life. And I took two months off of work. And the day that I got back to Stanford, I was sitting in my office and I was just trying to get through the day. Like I was just trying to be there and get through the day. That was my goal. And Andy came by to see me and he said, how are you? And I could tell that he wanted the real answer, not the hat, like I'm great when I clearly wasn't. And I said, if I talk to you about it, I'll cry. And he said, I'll cry with you. And I can barely tell the story today, 15 years later without crying because it was so meaningful to me. And like you said, Mac, I felt a tremendous amount of relief 
because he wasn't asking me to pretend to be anything other than what I was in that moment, which was a grieving mother who had lost a child. And just knowing that I didn't have to also add on a weight of pretending to be something else, pretending to be okay, pretending to be whole, pretending to be on top of it. He wasn't asking me to do that. He was just asking me to be me and to be human. And another thing, Mac, that came up for me was the fear that if I admit I'm going through something really hard, that Mm -hmm. my colleague will assume that I'm going to fall down on the job. We all struggle with stuff outside of work. All of us do. Every single one of us will have an urgent situation. We'll have an emergency. We'll just have something really hard. And what Andy was also communicating to me was your value to me goes beyond what you do in this office. And I know you'll be back on top one day and it doesn't have to be today. It and doesn't have to be today. doesn't yes. have to be today. And so that was 15 years ago. I freaking wow. love this man. Today, Mac, I would do anything for Andy oh. Radcliffe because he showed up for me in one of the most vulnerable moments of my life. And he gave me that unconditional support. And I still have yes. that from him today. And I still offer that to him today. Anything that oh. he needs, I would be there in a heartbeat. I hear that story, Bethany, and it. One, it's just such an emotional story, right? Because you can you can picture yourself as you on that journey. I think anybody listening to that story can imagine all of the love and the energy and the thoughts and the prayers that go into up until that moment, right? And to have that taken from you and not to be able to hold the baby and do all of that stuff, that's such a hard hurdle to overcome. A hurdle that for a lot of folks, to the very point you're making, right? It can take you out of the game. It can very yeah. much make you get to a point where rightfully so you have to almost completely break down like a butterfly in the cocoon, right? You've got to completely become something else to come out of that as something else afterwards. And I'm just struck by the courage, right? I think that's one undercurrent in that story is it takes courage to be the Andy, to see you in that moment and to say, yeah, I really see what's happening. And I can't just ignore that because I've got a KPI or a yes. bottom line or a thing that's on my checklist to do. And that's not why I came to talk to her. And then there's the other side of that, too, which is you having to stand fully in your truth and say, you know what? I'm not okay. That's okay to say. And yes, please just cry with me. Sometimes that release together is all the help you need to be able to leave it where it is. And it takes courage to do that on both sides of that equation. So what a powerful story. Yeah. And Mac, I love your point about courage. And it's so well taken. And one of the reasons why it resonates with me is I used to really fear other people's grief. And I don't know why. Like I used to really fear that the level of grief that I ended up feeling when I lost my Mm. child. And I think maybe the root of that fear was, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to make this better for you. And what Andy taught me in that moment was it's not about solving it. It's just about standing alongside someone who's feeling something deeply. And it was a very compassionate approach to the moment that I was in. And I'm forever grateful 
to him. And I'm really glad that I get to share that example because it was one of the most powerful examples of unconditional support that I've had, not just in my career, in my entire life. Yes, absolutely. And the importance of time in that story, right? That like at the end of saying, I'll cry with you, it wasn't, all right, well, you've got 48 hours to get back to where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Those those stories are out there where it comes with that conditional, okay, but are you better now? You're not, you're not better yet. What do you need to be better? Totally. That's what we're here for. Right. And it wasn't about him sitting down to make you better. It was about him sitting down to just let you be. And there's no time frame on how long that takes. There's no time frame after that conversation of now you need to be done with that feeling because you can't decide how long that's going to be. And I think that if we're really talking about fostering environments where people can come as their authentic selves, we have to get serious about what does that take out of a person? How long does it take out of a person to come to grips with some of those things? And the answer is sometimes there is no times table, right? Like it's different for all of us. So what an impact. Well, but one of the things that you said that I've hung on to as we were thinking about having this conversation and as we were thinking about conditional support as the topic we wanted to unpack first, you said you really liked it because you said love is always a great place to start. And I think what you're describing when you're like, we got a timetable here, like you can cry for five minutes and then it's back to work. That type of leadership and management relies on fear to get Mm -hmm. something done. And what Andy did was rely on love. And I'll tell you, Mac, once I knew that he had my back, no matter what, I was unstoppable. There was nothing that was going to get in my way for delivering for this man. I was going to do it, whatever it took. And I still feel that way. And so I think sometimes if we can think about how do I ensure that this person feels loved or feels my unconditional support, how do I make sure that they have that? That's when we can really unlock the energy, you know, the drive, the commitment, the grit, the hustle that can transform businesses and organizations, like really trying, trying to get away from a fear-based mentality and really stay much closer to unconditional love or support. That's what I have for you as my teammate. Yes, yes. I think, and that's the root of every conversation really, right? Every critical conversation has to, if you're not coming from a place of empathy and thinking to yourself, that this other person is a human just like me, is struggling with something just like I am, right? And when you're running through that assessment, that assessment isn't just about you. I think yeah. that's a thing that is really worth calling out that in critical conversations, a lot of times we, we're plotting how we can maneuver through the conversation to get to yeah. what we want at the end. And that's in reality, right. that's not really what's happening here, right? When my girlfriend always says, when, when two people walk away unhappy while making a compromise, you know they compromised. Because at the end of the day, nobody should be walking away feeling like they got everything that they wanted, every single point in the time, right? That given that take and recognizing the love in somebody else and and that they need that, right? That unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, so powerful. With all of those kind of extremely personal examples, I think that's given us a good idea of, of really... What are you running through in your mind, right? When you're running through treads and when you're making that assessment for yourself and now you've decided that this is a topic, I'm ready to talk about it. I want to engage in it. How do you start to unpack that and have that conversation? And the first thing that we want you to do is, is to be specific, right? Go micro rather than macro. Go with the small rather than the big. 
circumstances that led to your feelings specifically, right? That joke you told about my outfit on Monday's meeting, that hurt my feelings rather than I'm always the target of all of your jokes. Yeah. The biggest call out I think about a lot of times is the accusatory. Or try to avoid yeah. those words like always and never. And, you know, yeah. this is what you're always going to do because you're not leaving any room for anybody else to have a conversation with you. You've already decided yeah. what they're going to do and how they're going to be. Right. And nobody mm. wants to enter a conversation like that and get to that point within that first 15 seconds. Right. Don't yeah. don't waste a lot of time getting around to it. Be direct and That's be specific. Right. That is such a great tip to like get to the point within the first 15 seconds. It doesn't get easier, you know, as time goes on, right? It's like either for you or for the person who can tell that you have something to say and you haven't said it yet. So yeah, that's a great, great point. Every minute that uh, goes by, that assessment that you took at the beginning becomes less and less valid, right? That's right. That is exactly right. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to build on that. And I would say, in addition to being specific, commit to sharing your second order feelings. And what we mean is the ones that are hiding beneath the first order feelings, which tend to be easier for us to access, at least if you're like me, you know, feelings like (laughs) anger, disdain, you know, vengefulness. I'm I'm going to get you. It's harder to express our second order feelings. These are things like fear and hurt and shame. Because voicing them requires us to be vulnerable. And it's really challenging to embrace vulnerability with someone that you don't fully trust, at least perhaps not in this particular moment. And yet taking that leap and really role modeling vulnerability, it may be the step that you and your counterpart need to take in order to establish a new and higher and more durable level of trust. It was actually... Your mom, who took the leap, Mac, when she said, did you and -and so-and-so break up? And it was Andy Ratcliffe who took the leap when he said, that's right. Right. So like they were role modeling for you and me what that looked like. And so ways that we would recommend to kind of stick with sharing your second order feelings, go with the I statements. I know we've all heard this one, but it it really does help. So I Mm -hmm. felt hurt, confused, taken aback, targeted. Stick with your I statements and avoid labeling your counterpart. And labeling your counterpart often starts with you statements. And (laughs) and it is often, Mac, if we think about it like a mathematical equation, it's often you plus a noun. That is venting. That is venting. That is not problem solving. So for example, you are a jerk. You know, you're a bozo, you're a clunk. Those are labels that to Mac's point kind of take all the air out of the room. Those are extremes. Mm. Like already we're having an extreme conversation with very little joint shared ground where we can problem solve. So stick with your I statements and avoid labeling your counterpart. What else do you think, Mac? I think that that's such a great call out. And one thing that you said that really stuck out to me was a more durable level of trust. Yeah. Right. Trust is such a fragile thing. And especially in the beginning, when you're building relationships with people, it takes a millisecond to destroy any trust that you've built. Right. But a thing we like to say at Breakline all the time is doing hard things together is how you build that trust. And and part of the hard thing is being vulnerable together. It doesn't always have to be the physical, you know, lifting of the goals that you have to do. Sometimes it's really just being quiet with one another and feeling Mm -hmm. those feelings 
And that's a level of, of doing a hard thing that brings you even further together and weaves you together. That also kind of makes me think of what we would consider the last thing, which is yeah. to be outcomes oriented when you go yeah. into these conversations. It's so mm. easy, right? When you start with you're a jerk, you're a jackass, you're a right. clown. Where's that going? What do you right. say after that? Right. What's the goal, right? How yeah. many of us have started an argument with our significant other and they're like, okay, <laughs> what do you want me to do? And then in your head, you're like, oh, shit, I didn't get that far. Like, right. I don't I don't really know. I just wanted to say that I was hurt. That's that's, yes. that's yeah. it, right? So right. when you're in a professional setting and, and when you're really trying to unpack the root of what that problem is, what do you want? What's your clear yeah. goal when you come out of this conversation and ask for that? in yeah. clear terms, teach people yeah. how to treat you and and really lay that out for them so that there's no mincing words afterwards. That's right. That reminds me of a conversation that I found myself in where I actually was outcomes oriented. And I want to share mm. it now because I think it might be helpful to anyone listening. But this was many years ago. I was interviewing with a very famous female tech CEO and I was interviewing to be her chief of staff. And at the time, this woman had two children and I had three children. And I was so excited to have the potential opportunity to work with and learn from another woman in the space who was making it all happen with a family. And I was in the final conversation and she said, you know, Bethany, the only reason why I haven't hired you yet is because you're a mom with three kids. And she kind of went on to say that she wasn't sure that I would be able to commit, that I would have oh. the time, that, you know, I would make her company the priority. And I remember being so shocked, like feeling all this. Yeah. I was shocked. I was hurt. I was bewildered. I was offended. And yeah. but at the same time, I had this voice in my head saying the outcome that I want is this job. And I'm going to drive toward that outcome and I can decide later if it's the right thing for me long term. And so, yeah. you know, I was able to address her concern and she offered me the job. And yeah. the outcome here, though, is I turned it down and I turned it down because of what she had revealed to me about her value system and her sort of ethics and, and leadership approach. But the point is, that was on my terms. The outcome I wanted in that moment was the job. And I didn't have clarity of thought at the time to determine if I was going to say yes or no. I just knew I wanted it to be my choice. Yes. And so understanding, even if it catches you by surprise, and a lot of times these conversations do catch us by surprise, Mac, yes. hurt partly because of the shock of whatever's happening. So even in those moments to be able to take a beat and say, what do I want? Yeah. It's really important, you know, because typically yeah. what we want is more than to vent. We want something to be changed. We want something to be achieved. We want to take a different direction. And so being thoughtful about that, Mac, I'm, I'm really glad that you raised that point. It's so crucial. Yes. I love that you shared that because it kind of is like an undercurrent of this conversation, which is know your worth. And then add five cents. You feel me? Right. Like you, you've got to know what you're worth. And yeah. you've also got to be willing to stand on what you're worth. And sometimes yeah. that's not the glamorous, yes, I got the job and this is the moment. It's the introspection of like, will I really be happy here? Yeah. And to everyone else outside of this moment, it might look like, oh my God, she's like throwing away a killer opportunity. 
Mm-hmm. But I know myself. I know what That's I'm right. worth. I know what working in this environment will bring. And I don't have to say yes to that just That's because right. it's been offered to me, right? Like That's right. my value won't stop just because I chose to say no. And that's so huge that is so overlooked, I think, in those really big moments, right? Yeah. And I think even just knowing that you have the agency to say Hmm. yes or no. And that's what I think we want for the folks that we work with. It's up to you as much as possible. It is up to you to decide. And so I love, I really appreciate this framework. So be specific share your second order feelings and be outcomes oriented. And I have used this framework in the past. I know you've used it too, Mac. Mm -hmm. And so I think we should share a couple of examples when we've either used it. And I'm going to share an example of actually when it was somebody used it on me and it was really effective. (laughs) Yes. And Ronnie Butani is not here with us today, but I think she would be fully supportive of me sharing this particular situation. And again, we're talking about like, okay, you've run through the self-assessment, you've decided this is a conversation that you want to have. And what we're suggesting to you is that your key success factors for getting to the other side of this conversation and achieving what you want is be specific, share your second order feelings and be outcomes oriented. Ronnie Butani did this with me and she did it. I think this was about four years ago. So Breakline was three years old, something like that such a startup, such a baby. We're just making decisions by the seat of our pants, like just trying to hold everything together with bubble gum and duct tape. And so we were in this phase of making decisions pretty casually. And I made a decision. I can't even remember what the specifics were, but I made an organizational design decision and I moved someone from reporting to Ronnie to reporting to somebody else on the team and didn't even think twice about it. Like it was just sort of in keeping with the pace that we had and just being casual and low key about everything. Well, Ronnie, let me have it in a very constructive way. She called me and she said, I'll tell you, and I remember to this day, I remember exactly what she said because it was so effective. She said, I felt hurt when you made an organizational change on Monday that affected my team without consulting me first please work with me directly before moving someone who reports to me. So Max, she was specific and direct. She was talking about that organizational change on Monday. By the way, this was a frenetic, crazy period in Breakline, but she didn't say every single time, you know, you make an organizational change, you're a loser, right? She didn't, she didn't (laughs) globalize the situation. She was talking about this very specific decision that I made. She shared her second order feeling. She said right up front, the first thing that she said was, I felt hurt. And then third, she was outcomes oriented. Please work with me directly before moving someone who reports to me. I knew exactly what she wanted me to do differently. And I was all in on that. I was all in. So that was, to me, that was a really good example of using this framework and using it effectively and getting the outcome that you wanted. And guess what, Mac? I have never made that mistake again. Yes. And I think that that goes <laughs> to show how much control that that takes too, though, right? Yes. To like yes. take a moment to yourself to recognize, okay, this is a really a feeling that's happening. And I, I do yes. feel a way. And you might yes. be shocked because of somebody that you never thought you would feel that way about. That's right. And let that empathy be what guides you in that conversation to say, okay, maybe she didn't realize that in this specific moment, this is how it made me feel. Yeah. And let me, let me go to her directly and let's talk about that. And that, for you to have known that you created the space 
right? To where you're empowering the people that are around you to feel like you're approachable in that way because it's a double-edged sword, right? She went through that same assessment and she had to feel like, okay, Bethany's going to hear me and I'm going to come in here. I'm going to say it and this is going to be productive. So what a huge takeaway. She was very hurt. She was really upset with me for good reason, but she was so effective at communicating what had happened, how she felt about it and what she wanted to do differently going forward. And I also think, Mac, to your point, the other thing that I hope people leaders will take away from this is you're not perfect, right? Like you are going to make mistakes and with the best of intentions, you will screw it up and you will hurt someone's feelings in the process. And if we hold ourselves to the standard of perfection, then we have to mythologize. Well, I didn't really Mm. mean it. I didn't really do that thing. Like that was somebody else's fault. That is not an effective way to build team. We want to embrace those mistakes, learn from them, take ownership, apologize, and figure out how to do things differently. And that is the way to help build that trust. So I would stake my claim that Ronnie trusts me to try always to do the right thing and that I trust her to call me out when I fall short, which I do. Yes, yes, because you're right. And and not just that you trust her to call you out, but that you trust her opinion when doing so. Absolutely. But there's a level of respect yeah. that's equal that you recognize that like she's not just going to come to me with fluff. This must that's really right. mean something substantive because she's Absolutely. coming. Absolutely. I know it's substantive because I know she's going to do that self-assessment that's and right. she's going to decide this is the conversation that I want to have right now. It's that meaningful to me. Yes, yes. You talked about from a leadership perspective that actually makes yeah. me think of a, a recent conversation that I just had with my manager, Zainab, who's Mm. our VP of CS. And honestly, it was a great conversation because it was him proactively setting the stage so that I didn't feel like I had conditional support. We were in our one-on-one. We were just kind of going through our regular beat. And he made it a point to stop in the middle of our conversation and say, hey, Mac, I don't know if I've ever said this to you directly, but I want you to know that no one here is questioning your ability to do your job. I don't care what the numbers say. I don't feel like that's a reflection of who you are. And mm-hmm. you don't have to be sitting on pins and needles waiting mm-hmm. for something to drop because you're not sure of where you stand. We see you. We value you. There are other things that you bring to the table beyond just the role you fill. Mm-hmm. Right. And looking somebody in their eyes and saying yeah. that to them directly. I yeah. haven't had any conversations with him that I was feeling uncertain, but also You're trying your best to hit goals and you're not hitting them. You're Mm -hmm. watching people around you succeed. So Mm -hmm. it's a natural to your point of of that imposter syndrome starts to creep in. And you start to wonder, like, am I supposed to really be here? Mm -hmm. Can I really do this thing? Do the people around me think that I can't do this thing? Mm -hmm. And to reach out and say, hey, I don't even want you to create space in that in your mind for that. You know, you don't even have to ask me just so you know. I see you. I love you. You're valued here. Yes. Keep being you. That's the thing that we're hoping we're creating with this conversation. That's right. Is that other leaders can take that opportunity to recognize that there are hundreds of people looking at you who you mm-hmm. could make that moment for. And the way that they would, to the point of you and having Andy come in that moment right That's when you right. needed him, would then turn around and be willing to die on that hill next to him because That's you right. know that he was willing to get down in the trenches with you just before, right? That's right. Yeah. And I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that conversation because 
you have a special genius and brilliance, as we've talked about, with this kind of conversation, with building bridges, with helping people see different realities, different perspectives. And Zane does too. So I can only imagine the two of you with your geniuses meeting in the middle. We should have furnished that, whatever that light was. There's a lot of in a going on. <laughs> whiteboards and, and whiteboards. Yeah. The other thing that it reminds me of is I can't remember what the moment was, Mac, but we were having a team meeting and I was sharing something and I was feeling vulnerable. And it was, Mm -hmm. Franklin is currently a team of about 30. So I was telling 30 of my colleagues something that was sensitive for me. And I was looking at your face and you were just locked in on me. You were smiling. You were nodding. You were expressing to me in nonverbal ways that you had my back. And That was so uplifting to me in that moment. Like it was an example of your unconditional support for me as I was sort of stumbling through whatever this thing was, you were there. You were there so that I knew that I was supported and that you wanted me to be at my best and you were going to help me get there. Echoes of that conversation that Zane had with you telling you he had your back. He was going to be there. He was going to be there through ups and downs. And no matter what, you had his support. I want you to know that I've felt that exact same dynamic directly from you. And I appreciate you so much. And I'm so grateful that you and I got to engage in this conversation today. I hope folks listening in find it helpful and let us know. Give us your feedback. Uh, Weigh in and tell us if these tips and tricks helped you on your journey toward having conversations with folks who matter to you. I'd just like to say thanks to everybody for taking the time to make your own relationships better, right? It takes a a concerted effort to heal yourself first before you can make any changes in anything else that you're trying to do. And ultimately, this is a living nuanced thing, right? These, These things change all the time. Every situation that you're in, you won't be able to apply every piece of every assessment or every piece of advice you've ever heard. But you can take these things and chance favors the prepared mind. So hopefully when the chance comes, you'll be prepared. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.